there is one story that stands out as the greatest story ever told. In this story, you and I aren't just made to feel like participants, we are characters within the story. We are the characters, our world is the setting, and the plot is broken down into five acts. Act 1, Creation. Act 2, Rebellion. Act 3, Rescue. Act 4, Communion. Act 5, Celebration. The conflict occurs in the first act, the resolution is introduced in Act 3, and continues through the present and into the future. The greatest story ever told is the story of God and us. Again, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Crossroads. We're so glad you're here with us today. A very special welcome to those that are watching online and those at our West Campus. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, again, like they said, my name is Ross. I am the high school pastor here at our Newburgh Campus, and I'm so thrilled to be speaking to you today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to go. Colossians chapter 2. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you, this series that we're in, the story of God and us, is really cool. We're in week three of it. At the end of this series, we're actually going to give anyone who would like an opportunity to be baptized, to go public for God. But please understand that long before you and I ever went public or could go public in our relationship with God, he already went public for us. 2,000 years ago when he died on a cross. And Colossians chapter two um, kind of talks about this and summarizes it, I think, very well. We're going to start in verse 13. This is what it says, Colossians two, verse 13 through 15. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Everybody say all. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle, I like that, of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I want to talk to you today from this thought, the rescue, the rescue. Come on, whether you're watching online, whether you're at our West Campus or here at Newburgh, would you go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes with me? We're gonna pray over our time together. Lord, I'm just so thankful that we get to come here and worship you and be a part of what you're doing. God, I pray that um, today, Lord, that you would help me to communicate your word clearly and effectively. God, that we would leave this place here, whether it's in Newburgh, we would, we would turn off our computer screen today, we would... We would leave the West Campus better than we got here, better than we started today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Real quick, I want to take a, a quick survey. Um, how many of you would say that you grew up in church, that you are a church kid? Okay, okay. Lots of hands here at our Newburgh campus. For me, I, I, I definitely grew up a church kid. I, I've said this before. I'm a church kid through and through. And when I say I grew up in the church, I mean like, I grew up in the church, like in the, in the church, okay? Like we, our church always had something going on. We had something going on every single day of the week. It all began with Sunday mornings, okay? Sunday mornings, we would have Sunday school. Anybody remember flannel graphs in here, okay? We had, we had Sunday school, and then after that, we had big church. And I, I grew up in church in the South. Now, church in the South 
is, uh, you know, you always knew what time church was going to start. You never knew when it was going to end, though. Never knew. And we would, uh, we'd have big church, you know, it would end. We'd, we'd maybe go to my grandma's house. We would have lunch, you know, maybe watch some football, take a nap, just in time to come back again Sunday night for Sunday night revival service. And I mean, many times I would, I would come to the front of the altar, right? And they would anoint my head with Crisco oil, right? I'd go to school the next day in middle school, have zits just this part of my forehead. I'm like, I want the power of God, but I don't want zits. I don't know what to do, you know? On Mondays, we would have men's Bible study. Tuesdays, we would have choir practice. On Wednesdays, then we would have our youth services. And on Thursdays, the church I grew up in, we always had productions or different plays going on, something like that. So Thursday was always play practice, right? Thursday was always play practice. I remember I, I, some of my favorite memories growing up in church were being a part of church productions and, um, and really watching church productions, but maybe not for the reason you would think. I, I enjoyed them because usually always in a church production, something was guaranteed to go wrong. <laughs> and I could not wait to see it. I remember one Christmas, the baby doll we were using for baby Jesus, the baby's head popped off. Mary had no idea of what to do. It was amazing. And I, I remember though, one, one Easter Sunday in particular, I remember we were, we were reenacting the story of Jesus going to the cross. We were reenacting the story of the rescue, what we're talking about today. But I remember this Easter, I wanted everything to go perfect. I mean, nothing could go wrong because I had invited a friend from school who I knew was not a Christian. And I wanted him to get saved that Sunday. I wanted to make sure everything went perfect. I had been at many rehearsals. I knew exactly what was supposed to happen. Jesus, AKA Brad, a guy in our church, playing Jesus was supposed to come in from the back of the room, carrying the cross as he was being whipped from behind. And he was supposed to just go up on the stage, right? Drop the cross. He was, they were going to lay him down and then kind of fake, you know, like nail his, his hands to the cross. And then by way of rope, their job was then to lift Brad up on the cross for everyone to see. Now the cross, we had, we had made this really cool thing. The, the base of the cross was supposed to kind of slip into this slot as they lifted him up. So it would kind of just stay there, right? And as they're lifting Brad up, I don't know exactly how it happened, but they kind of, you know, the base missed, missed the slot and Brad just went, ah, bam, face first into the stage. My friend who was sitting next to me stands up out of his seat and was like, oh! I thought two things. Number one, Brad is dead. Number two, I looked at my friend. I'm like, we got him, you know? like he is into this. My friend leans over to me. He goes, did that really happen? I was like, I, I, not exactly. I don't know, you know, but I, I, I think my friend, he, he left that day more confused about the cross than when he actually came in. Truth is though, I, I think that a lot of us, we live in a world that is more confused about the cross than ever before, right? Even if you grew up in church, you would call yourself a church kid. Come on, even I can sometimes be confused about the cross. We know this to be true because at first everything's new, fresh, fun. It's like, oh, did that really happen? 
But as time goes on, something happens to us, right? We get a little too familiar with the story. I don't know what happens exactly, but really we boil it down to something that it's really not. The cross just becomes the necklace we kiss before we take the field. Jesus becomes the prayer that we say with our family before we have a meal because we're out in public. God just becomes the genie that we call upon when we need something from him. The Holy Spirit's the only song we'll stand and lift our hands and worship to because it's the only one we approve of. And over time, the story of God and us sort of becomes, dare I say, a, a, a tradition, a religion, a custom, a, even a superstition. We started talking about last week, the story of Adam and Eve and how their sin brought sin into the world. Today, I hope to really talk about the story of Jesus rescuing us and sort of bridge a gap between those two stories. You may think, how do they relate why do we need to talk about Adam and Eve when we talk about Jesus? Because until you fully understand just how bad Adam and Eve mess things up, you'll never fully understand how awesome the rescue for us was. You'll never understand how awesome the rescue was. I'm here to remind some people today that Jesus is so much more than a superstition. No, he was supernatural. He was anything but casual. He was fully man, but he was fully God, that the cross of Jesus Christ is so much more than just a fashion statement or a piece of jewelry or a topic of conversation. No, actually, it was an announcement from heaven that you and I have been set free, that the gates of heaven have been spread wide open for the whosoevers that believe in him so they will not perish but have eternal life. A way has been made for you and I. You and I have been saved. You and I have been set free because of the cross. Because of the cross, you and I have been rescued. Come on, is there anybody in here this morning who is thankful we've been rescued? We've been rescued. We have a picture of the cross up here. You'll see as you look at it that the cross, it actually has four different quadrants. And today I hope to maybe reveal to you four different things that you and I have been rescued from because of the cross. Number one is this, if you're taking notes today, because of the cross, you and I have been rescued from sin. We've been rescued from sin. I've heard sin kind of described this way, and I think it's a really accurate description. It simply just means to miss the mark. To sin means to miss the mark. Imagine there's an archer, he has a bow and arrow, and he's trying to hit a bullseye. He shoots and he misses. It doesn't matter if he misses by an inch or by a mile, he still missed the mark. The bullseye in this scenario is God's will, his, his perfection, his standard. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I looked up this word all in the Greek, right? It's crazy. You want to know what it means? It means all. We've all missed the mark. We've all messed up. We have all sinned before. And we talked about this last week because Adam and Eve, they brought sin into the world. Therefore, you and I have been born into sin. This is the world we live in. How many of you know nobody has to tell you how to sin? Like it just comes naturally to you, right? I don't know about you. I'm good at sinning. 
Like I'm, I'm really good <laughs> at sinning. And listen, I think we have this wrong definition of sin. We, we think it's our sin that makes us a sinner. No, no, no. Listen, you are a sinner. That's why you sin. And I'm really good at it, man. I've often, I've often thought like, man, I wish I could get paid for my sin because I would be a rich man. I'm that good at it, right? Truth is though, I don't have to get paid for my sin because my sin has already been paid for. I love what Romans chapter five says because right after this very popular verse that you hear about all the time, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A few verses later, Romans five begins to compare Adam with Jesus. Check this out. It says, and I'm gonna read from the message version just because the the wording is so, so amazing. It says, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us into all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man, meaning Adam, said no to God and put many, in, many people in the wrong. One man, meaning Jesus, said yes to God and put many in the right. This is the God that we serve. When one man did it wrong, he did it right. Where one man brought into the world sin, the other brought salvation. Where one brought guilt, the other brought grace. Where one brought pain, the other brought purpose. Listen, when Adam took a fall, Jesus decided he was going to take a stand. When one man was led to a tree and took a piece of fruit that led to death, guess what? Jesus was led to a tree called the cross at Calvary where he died for us so that we don't have to and instead we can have life and life to the full. When Adam messed everything up, Jesus made everything right. We live in sin, but we have been rescued from it because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Second thing is this, not only have we been rescued from sin, but we have been rescued from shame. It gets even better. It gets even better. I would, I would kind of describe shame like this. If death is the long-term result of sin, then shame is the short-term effect of sin. Meaning shame is a slow death. It's walking around. I am my thoughts. I am my feelings. I am my past. I am my mistake. It's a, it's a slow death. I know many people that would call themselves Christians and they come to church every single week. They come in week in and week out. Yet we still walk out of these doors full of shame and carrying things that we don't have to anymore because we've been rescued from it. What's hard about shame is that the memories of being ashamed can be so vivid, can't they? I I try to remember back to maybe the first time I ever felt ashamed about something. And I'm reminded of a story when I was in preschool. I don't remember if we were coming back from lunch or maybe recess or something like that, but we were lining up to go to the bathroom. And we always lined up in alphabetical order so we knew who was in front of us and who was behind us. For me, it was my friend Reed. We were always together. His name was, last name is Johnson. My last name is Langston. So we were always right there in line together. And on this day in particular, I remember like I had to go to the bathroom. I mean, like I had to go, 
right? I'm waiting, I'm waiting. The line seems like it's taken forever. You know, it's Reed's turn. And instead of Reed going through the door, instead what I did was I pushed Reed out of the way and I'm like, sorry, buddy. And I ran into the bathroom. Long story short though, I, um, I, I, I didn't make it. That day, my green Oshkosh gosh, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. Oshkosh bagosh jeans that my mom picked out for me. They were, they, were, they were green, but they were a little hunter green in other areas. I remember I was grabbing like paper towels and toilet paper, trying to like clean up the mess as much as I possibly could, trying to cover it up. You know, meanwhile, people are knocking on the door. Hey, hurry up in there. What's taking so long? I'm like, I'm trying to you, uh, just wait, you know trying my best to clean up the mess that I have made. And after a while, I realized I got I to gotta face the music. I got to open up the door. I can't fix this. People are going to see my mess. I remember I, I opened up the door. And when I did, I see my friend Reed. He's standing at the door and tears are coming down his face. He's like, man, what took you so long? I wet my pants, man. I said, bro, me too. We hug, we're like, we're getting out of school early. Yay. <laughs> tell you that story, tell you that, that, that's the picture of shame. Come on, we laugh, but we've, we've all been there, haven't we? In life, we make messes. What do we do? We try to clean it up. We try to fix it. We try to hide it tuck it away, inhale, suck it in, make sure nobody can see, keep the door closed to our life because we're afraid if they open up the door, they'll see our mess. I can't let anybody in because they'll see my shame. And really what happens is you would, you would think what would happen is when we come to church, we find freedom from that. But honestly, church can be the place where we put up even thicker masks because we want to make people think we got it all together. And really, we hide more in church than anywhere else. And over time, what happens is this translates over to our relationship with God, doesn't it? We think, I'll get my life together and then I'll go to God. I'll fix it. And then I'll go to him. No, God says the exact opposite. He goes, no, give it to me and I'll clean it up. Come to me first and I'll be the one that fixes it. You know what's wild? Is that when you actually do this, when you come clean, when you open up the door to your life, you'll find so many people that surround you that say, man, thank God you shared that story. Thank God you said something, man. You know why? because I was dealing with that too. I'm so glad I'm not the only one. You wet your pants, I wet my pants too. Weird analogy, but you get what I'm going, right? I've said this before, but people will identify much more with your pain than they ever will your perfection. There's no need to hide who you really are. You've been set free from shame. You've been rescued. You don't need to fake it anymore. We've been rescued from sin. We've been rescued from shame. And then I like this one. We've been rescued from the power of Satan. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we have been rescued 
from the power of Satan. I'm 29 years old now, and in just a few months, I'm gonna be turning 30, but the older and older I get, the more I realize that we are not fighting battles of flesh and blood here. We are fighting supernatural battles against the kingdom of darkness. We all know God has a plan for my life. We say that all the time. God's got a plan. God's gonna work it out. God's got a plan for my life. He wants us to have life and life more abundantly. But the truth is Satan has a plan for your life as well. The Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. That's what he wants. But the only way that he can do that is if we choose to believe his lies. It's the only way he can do it is if we believe his lies. I love what Colossians 2 says because it says the cross canceled your legal indebtedness. Another version of the Bible actually says that old arrest warrant is gone. I like that. Because growing up as a kid, ever since I was a kid, I, I, I've had a big fear of going to prison. I don't know why. It's like an irrational fear. I had, I had this fear of going to jail. And I can remember a couple of years ago, I'm sitting at home by myself. I'm watching TV. Nikki's out, you know. I get a phone call from a number I don't recognize, but I picked it up anyway. I say, hello. Guy on the phone says, Mr. Langston, is this you? I said, well, yes, it is. He says, Mr. Langston, this is so-and-so from Tax Evasion. We've been trying to get up with you. We regret to inform you that you owe over $8,000 in back taxes, and we need you to pay it off immediately. I said, excuse me? I said, how am I just now hearing about this? He says, sir, we've been trying to get up with you. We've been sending you letters in the mail. We've been trying to call you. We've not had any luck. I'm, I'm so glad that I just now got up with you. I said, well, what, what, can I, what can I do? You know, he goes, well, you need to send us a money order in the next two hours, or unfortunately the police are gonna be at your house and they're gonna take you to jail. I said, jail? Oh no, in that moment, I do immediately what any grown man would have done. I begin to text my wife and my mommy. <laughs> I put this guy on speakerphone, I start texting Nikki, my wife, and I'm like, hey, what did you do? <laughs> I'm like, did you forget to pay our taxes, girl? I'm gonna go to jail. Nikki, you know I'm not gonna do good in jail, girl. She's texting me back. She's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll start texting my mom. I'm like, mom, call up the church. Get the saints to pray. Your boy's going to jail. Make sure Nikki doesn't find anybody else, you know? <laughs> While I'm on the phone with this guy, my mom calls me back and I click over and, and I go, mom, what am I going to do? She goes, honey, hang up the phone. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? Mom, that's easy for you to say you're not on America's most wanted list right now, okay? This is a big deal. She goes, no, honey, no, this guy, this guy is a fraud. Like, this, he is a con. Hang up the phone. I was like, Mom, how do you know? She's like, I have lawyer friends that just, I just know, like, they deal with this kind of stuff all the time. Hang up the phone, honey. I said, Mom, are you sure? She goes, yes. I said, you talked to a lawyer? She says, honey, I didn't have to. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, okay, you're smarter than me, you know. But I clicked back over and I, 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 uh, I wanted to talk to this guy again, you know. <clears throat> Whole tone of my voice changed, right? You know why? Because when you know somebody has no authority over your life, it removes all fear. 
click back over, I say, ho, ho, ho! You gonna call my house on my day off and drop my name? Boy, you better put some respect on my name. You don't know me. You don't know me. You think I owe a debt? Uh-uh, I don't owe you anything. You're a liar, you're a cheater, you're a con. This is a scam. You know why? Because I call my mommy and I'm not afraid anymore. <laughs> he hung up the phone. I never heard from him again. Amazing, <laughs> Ross, why, why are you telling us that story? Because, friends, this is what it's like when Satan tries to get to us. First of all, he knows your fear. And he, he will keep hitting redial over and over again on the same fear. And all he can do is dial your number and get up in your ear and threaten you with his lies, threaten you with his scams, try to remind you of things that you are not, try to remind you of your past. And when he tries to remind you of your past, you can simply just remind him of his future. Devil, you have no future. You have no authority on my life. I know who I am. You may think I owe a debt, but my debt has already been paid. 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid my debt on a cross. You are a liar, you're a cheater. This is a scam. I'm gonna hang up the phone now. This is the assurance we can have when we know Satan tries to get the best of us. No, no, no. He has no authority. No authority. The cross has saved us from the power of sin, shame, Satan, and last but definitely not least, because of the cross, we've been rescued from self. I don't know about you, I, I'm so thankful that I have been saved from myself. I gotta be honest with you though, the story of the cross, it, the story of the rescue can, can be confusing. It's easy, I think, to be confused about the cross because it's a weird story. Like it, it starts out on a Sunday. Many of us, if you've grown up in church, you know it is Palm Sunday. It's, it, it's a weird time. I mean, like, it's, it's the time of Passover there in Jerusalem. So the Bible actually says that so many people, scholars actually believe two million Jews would have been just in one area at one time during the, I mean, it would have been a huge, like, party, almost like a festival. I'm trying to think of something maybe to, like, compare it to, there would have been like rides and funnel cakes and, and fried food everywhere. It would have been like, I don't know, one of like the first or second largest outdoor festival around. <laughs> it would have been a little bit bizarre. There's so many people there and Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. People are there waving palm branches. It's a bunch of blue collar people. I mean, it was kind of bizarre. It would have been like a NASCAR event happening right there in Jerusalem. Jesus comes up on the scene and people are worshiping him, but then it gets even weirder because on Palm Sunday, the Bible says that Jesus begins to cry. Jesus, why are you crying? They're worshiping you. I think he begins to weep because he knows they're worshiping for all the wrong reasons. They thought he was there for a political takeover. Jesus was there for a spiritual makeover. 
He was ready to change hearts, not the government. See, Jesus had this way of kind of destroying everybody's expectations of him. He has a knack for doing this. I mean, come on, they, they wanted a knight on a white horse. They got a carpenter on a donkey. <laughs> they wanted him to fly around the room and do amazing miracles and healings. And I don't know, maybe like use lightning bolts, something cool like that. No, what did he do? He spit in his hand and rubbed it on people's faces. That's how he healed them. They wanted him to choose the best of the best to be his followers. He chose the worst of the worst to be his disciples. Chose the worst of the worst. They wanted him to win in some big, epic battle, but he's told people to turn the other cheek. And then he took a beating he didn't deserve and he went to a cross to die. He wasn't what they expected. And when he wasn't, when the story of God and us wasn't what we wanted it to be, we began to write our own story. Because the same people who were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday were shouting crucify him, crucify him on Friday. Just five days later. Why? Because he wasn't what they expected. They tried to write their own story. And then, I, I, can I just be honest? Like the story does get pretty confusing and, and, and really weird because right in the middle of the story of Jesus going to the cross, the story seems to be interrupted by this guy named Barabbas. What happens is Jesus is beaten to a bloody pulp and then taken and put up on a stage in front of the whole city. And again, because it was Passover, it was a holy time. The judge at the time, Pontius Pilate, was adhering to a Jewish custom, a, Jew, a Jewish tradition. That on a holy day, one prisoner would be accepted while another on death row would be set free. So Pontius Pilate has two men up there with him, one, Jesus. The other, Barabbas. Barabbas was known as a murderer. He led a rebellion. He deserved to be in jail. He deserved to have the chains on his wrists. Pontius Pilate gets up there in front of all these people and he goes, okay, you know the custom, you know the tradition. I will set one of these prisoners free and one will be put to death. Who do you want? Jesus or Barabbas? This is, this is wrong. They, like, this is blasphemous. I mean, this is, he, Barabbas, he deserves this. He's a murderer. What has Jesus ever done? He's healed people. Even if you don't even believe in him, at least he promoted peace. What has he done wrong? Who do you want? Somebody from the crowd says, we want, we want Barabbas. What? Yeah, 
yeah, give us Barabbas. What do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. He's not who we thought he was. Thought about themselves. Pontius Pilate says, oh, okay, uh, guards? Guards come up, take the key, and they unlock the chains that are on Barabbas' hands. He shakes them off, and he goes a free man as he watches Jesus be taken away to the cross. I've read this story many times, heard about it growing up in church, saw it in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. And every single time I'm like, God, how could you let this happen? How could you let these people free Barabbas? How could you let them do that? And over time, I realized God's saying, no, 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 no. They didn't free him. I did. God, why? Because I love Barabbas. I wanted him to go free. See, God knew he would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. I love Barabbas. I wanted him to go free. And then I realized who Barabbas is. He's me. He's you. He's us. I know I deserve the chains. I know the times that I've given into sin and shame and listened to Satan's lies and thought about myself before other people, put myself before God. I deserve the punishment. I deserve the prison. I deserve the cross. This is not a fair trade. And then I feel God speak to me. But I love you. And I want you to go free. And I feel the chains fall off. And I walk away a free man because I've been rescued. And I watch Jesus go to a cross that I deserve. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've been carrying, you've been rescued from it. You've been rescued from your sin. You've been rescued from shame. You don't need to carry it anymore. You've been rescued from the gates of hell. You've been saved from yourself. Come on, at every campus, online, west, here at Newburgh, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Just no one talking, no one looking around this time. Just want to ask you a question. Hey, have you been held captive by one of these four things we talked about today? Are the chains on you because of sin? Are the shackles of shame still on you? Has Satan dialed your number and you've listened? Do you know what you deserve because you've thought of yourself? And today you're saying, I want to be free. 
I wanna feel the chains fall off. I wanna know what it's like to be rescued. And you would say, there's some things that I need to get right with God now. Come on, if that's you, would you slip up your hand right where you are? No one looking around, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, you see every hand that was raised. And God, you know what we are in chains over. You know that we need rescuing. So God, as, a, as our hands went up, as a sign of just surrendering and giving that thing over to you, God, we, we lay it at the cross. We say, Lord, forgive us. Give us boldness to let go. Help us to feel the chains just fall off as we walk away free. God, we love you. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for saving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.